Father, I love you. I thank you for the, the old rugged cross. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that we never grow tired of him. Lord, I pray that you would search our souls and that you would search our thoughts and that in the end you would just lead us towards everlasting. Lord, I pray that your words would speak loudly and mine would be quiet. And I lift up the children as they go down. I pray that you would just let them hear your word, that it would transform their hearts, and that the next generation of those that love you would give you glory and praise and honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. And while they are, if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 139. Our summer psalm series is winding down. Kind of makes me sad. I, I love summer. I know some people don't love summer, but I absolutely adore it. And it makes me sad as the time seems to fly. I thought giving up baseball and coaching the Legion team would give me more time, but that's just not the case. And as you get there in 139, as you turn to the hymnal in your Bible, I first want to talk about the very top of Psalm 139, where it says to the choir master, a psalm of David. He's writing this psalm, not only to the choir master, to the guy that's going to lead the choir as we sing glory and praise to our King, but like we do, we write our hymns, we write our songs to give God glory. And I think right here, David is saying this him 139 is to God the ultimate choir master and this psalm 139 it's not only recognizing God's greatness it is recognizing that God the greatest being in the universe knows you he's with you and he has made you and that should inspire us to sing you see I'm not always a sermon point kind of guy but it works for this sermon Point one, God knows you. Point two, God is with you. Point three, God made you. And point four, therefore He can judge you and this entire world perfectly. This text here speaks to God's omniscience and His omnipresence. Just big words for God is all-knowing and He is everywhere. But this text is so much deeper than that. You see, God, He knows you perfectly. God is with you and He will never leave you nor forsake you. God made you. And this can either scare you or it can give you great comfort. And I'm not just talking about believers and unbelievers. Think about this. When our thoughts go against God, when I am black hearted and my thoughts are going against God, to understand that even in those moments, my God still loves me. That gives me great comfort. In everything that I have done and I will ever do, my God still loves me. Every thought that I have ever had and every thought that I will ever have, my God still loves me. And He loves me enough to not just leave me where I was, but He loves me enough to transform my mind. He loves me enough to never give up on me. He is working on every one of us. He is working with us and He's even working through us. 
our youth group. We've been going through Romans 12. A couple weeks ago, when we were in Denver, we started talking about our thought life. And we went to Romans 12, 2, and I challenged the kids to memorize this verse. It's funny how you can have it memorized, but once I get up here, it just goes... (laughs) Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Is our God transforming your thoughts? How beautiful is it that He doesn't just leave us there? And why is this important in the context of Psalm 139? Because if we understand the significance of our God, if we understand how big He is, it opens our minds to be transformed by His power. You see, when I acknowledge my thoughts as going against the will of God, it gives me the ability to take those thoughts captive and focus on Jesus as He transforms my mind away from the ways of this world. And I have the ability to grow closer to my King, Jesus. You see, Jesus, He never changes. He will never be closer or any further away to you than He is right now. The only thing that changes is you. And I get it. Nobody wants to have bad thoughts. But those bad thoughts, do they grow us? Do we allow them to grow us closer to Jesus? Or do we ignore them? Because to be quite honest with you, I would be scared if I was going through life just oblivious to the thoughts that I had that went against the will of God. Guys, our God is not just all-knowing. He knows you better than we know ourselves. Our God knows you personally. The other day I was listening to my wife and Miss Erica and they were talking about the difference between men and women and how you think. You see, women, they're like spaghetti. All their thoughts are intertwined. They can do all these things at one time and it just amazes me. My wife, she can be cooking and cleaning. She can be giving the kids perfect direction and she can be a boss lady all at the same time. Until she can't. Until she breaks. And you see, when we do that, everything only gets part of your time. And then us guys, we're like this file cabinet. We can only have one file open at a time. We have to make sure we close that one before we open the next one. Me personally, I can't even text and hear at the same time. But not Jesus. Jesus can have every file open from every person in the history of mankind and He can give every single person His devote attention, every last bit of them, all at the same time without growing tired. We have limitations. It's because we're not God, first of all. And second of all, because He designed us to need Him. Our Creator knows every one of you greater than any person in the history of this world including the way you know yourself. So point one, God knows you. Psalm 139.1, Oh Lord, You have searched me and You have known me. You have searched me and You have known me. This word search is chakar in the Hebrew. It means examine or investigate or to probe. This sounds more like the first time we met our wife or ladies, your, your husband's. God is investigating, discovering you greater than you did the first time you met your spouse. The difference is that He already knows you and He does not stop like maybe some of you did with your spouse. 
Man, you want to fix your marriage? Care enough about your spouse to know how they tick. Discover how they love. Truly get to know them. Maybe spend less time doing other things and getting to know your spouse, listening to them and studying them. And the same holds true with God. How much time do we spend discovering Jesus? What makes Jesus tick? What does Jesus love? What does Jesus say? Do we listen to Him? Do we know Him? Because He knows you. Verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Now this is probably where my marriage analogy breaks down. You see, I think my wife would get a little annoyed if I was constantly checking in on her wherever she sat and where she rose. Especially if I was examining her with binoculars from afar. But not Jesus. Jesus is different. He always does it perfectly. Not because He's jealous or He lacks trust. He's doing it because He loves us perfectly. And it doesn't just stop there. Jesus does not just know my thoughts, but He wisely considers each thought. This word discern here in the Hebrew is being. Do we take in the thoughts of others and wisely consider them? Do we consider where others' thoughts have come from? The background that developed them? We are often or so quick to criticize others without first considering what has happened in their life. You see, we have no idea what has gone on in somebody's life. We have no idea how it affects the way they parent, how it affects the way they just live life. And when we judge people without first knowing them, we break down communication. We break down opportunities to love them like Jesus does. You see, Jesus even loved you, even though you have the thoughts that you have. And He loved you first and changed you second. And why do we not do the same with others? Our Jesus, our Jesus understands every thought that was ever developed and He uses those moments to grow us closer to Him as He grows us in His glory. This greater and deeper relationship with Him Jesus wants so desperately to be around you. Do you want to be desperately around others that God has put in your life? He never separates from us because we're different. He made each of us different. So often we come to Jesus and we separate ourselves from the world. And I get it. We've got to take a time to get away and get our thoughts right, to get to know Jesus. But once we know Him, when does it stop? I know people that have known Jesus from 20 years and they just continually get less and less people around them that, know, that don't know Jesus. Guys, we have Jesus. He knows you personally. We can go and we can tell people about who He is because He is the one that changes lives. He's the one that transforms minds. Go. Go and tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. Our Jesus, He loves everyone. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And then John 17, That He did not come to condemn it, but to save it. He doesn't care if you are popular. He doesn't care if you are loved by this world. It is irrelevant to Him. He finds value in every single one of you. 
Man, think about how powerful it is to just love somebody, to just have somebody love us. When they love us with pure motives, and that's Jesus in our life. Can we be that person in maybe somebody else's life? Psalm 139.3, You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. He is acquainted with all of our ways. How good does it feel that somebody searches us out? No, I get it. You have to like him first, not like a stalker or something like that. But man, if, if you love somebody and they search you out and they want you, it feels wonderful. And this word acquainted is sakan in the Hebrew. And it means that God wants intimacy. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to become accustomed to who you are. You see, our kids, our friends, our family, even the people next door in your business or in your work, they need Jesus. Jesus is that in our life. He's always there. He's there everywhere we go. Others need Him too. And often I hear that the God of the Old Testament is distant and unattainable. But this is Psalm 139. This is the Old Testament. And as you read 139, you cannot help but see a God that is very much attainable and is very much near. And He is the same God forever and He always has been and He always will be. And He has always loved His creation. And He has always loved you. 139, 4 and 6, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay it upon me, your hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, and I cannot attain it. He sees things that we cannot see. He knows things that we cannot know. He has done things that we can never do. And when we were unlovable, when we were unlovable, He loved us, and loved us enough to give us everything. He laid down His life for us. And so what do we give Him? Run that through your thoughts. What do we give Him? And you see, if I stopped here and that was all that God did with for us, it would be worth it. But that's not even close to everything. Point two, God is with you. Verse seven, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Every one of us has friends and family who have left us. We have friends that flee from us and when times are tough, when we do something to offend them. But think back how many times you've offended God and yet He's still with you. He's still with us. And on top of that, there is nowhere, there is nowhere we can go to get away from Him. Verse 8, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I am walking with Jesus and He is my bestie, He is there. And if I am black-hearted, wretched sinner, He is there. A couple weeks ago, I met this guy in jail. And he told me that he used to be a Satanist. This man that used to be a Satanist, not only was he black-hearted, but he was an enemy of God. And you could see it in this man's eyes. You could see the, the, the gospel. You could see Jesus working in this man's life as he just wanted to, to devour, to, to soak in every last bit of Jesus because Jesus had brought joy in his life. 
And even when he was walking an enemy with God, God was right there with him. And now as he's turned, it's beautiful to see this this miracle. Not only does God have enough energy for everybody in this room, he has enough energy for that Satanist that I saw. God has enough energy to choose every one of us. And our God does not abandon anyone. He's right there and we choose whether or not we're going to acknowledge Him. So that's my question today. Are you going to ignore Him? Because ignoring Him gets us to the same place as outright denying Him. Are we going to seek out His blessing? Or are we going to deny the fact that He's even there because Jesus does not open the door? Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And I knock and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. He's always been there since the beginning. And we cannot hide from him. Even though some of us have tried. Even Adam and Eve tried back in Genesis 3, 8-10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden on the cool day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Why would God here ask him, Where are you? Does God not know exactly where he is? God was giving him a chance. A chance to respond. Adam and Eve could have just ignored, but they didn't. They responded to Him. Adam and Eve committed treason on God. So do all of us. And there's punishment. There's consequences. I get it. But their God, our God, the God of everything, does not lead them. He sacrifices an animal in their place and He would later give His Son on the cross to redeem them. Now that's the kind of God that we worship. What about Jonah? Psalm 139, 9-10 If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, I can think of nobody who dwelt in the uttermost parts of the sea more than Jonah. Verse 10, Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So Jonah, he disobeys. He hops in a boat. He goes thousands of miles in the opposite direction across the sea. And God loves him enough to send a living submarine to pick him up and take him back to where God wants to use him. And even then, he's a little reluctant. As he preaches a five-word sermon in the Hebrew, and 120,000 evil people come to Jesus. You see, I don't know if we quite understand how evil the Assyrians were. They would slaughter entire nations. They would cut off warriors' heads and put them on pillars in the city. They would burn and mutilate women and put them in mass graves. They would even take the leaders, they would penetrate their jaw with a dagger, put a rope in there and lead them around like dogs. These are some evil, evil people. And before we judge Jonah, it's probably understandable to think that nobody would want to go to a people like that. Yet our God, yet our God cared about the heart of the Assyrians and He cared about the heart of Jonah. Do we not think that He will care about our heart also? Our God is there for everyone. 
And He will never turn down somebody who stops ignoring Him. I'm telling you, salvation is a conscious choice to no longer ignore. Salvation is keeping the main point, the main point, and that is Jesus who has never left you. We so often think that maturity, that maturity is knowing more about the Bible, but maturity is knowing more about the Bible and it causes us to go in awe of who Jesus Christ is and it should drive action in our life. If we ever get bored of hearing the story of Jesus and the Gospel and the cross, then my heart breaks. Because eternity is a long time if we get tired of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only hope. In this crazy world that we live in right now, Jesus is the only hope. And we have Him. And we can share it with all those who are willing to listen. This world that we live in so hard, it tries so hard to bring about darkness. But it's not possible. Jesus is always light. Psalm 139, 11 and 12, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Darkness is just the absence of light, but God's light is never absent. God is always there for His children. He is always the light for His children. And if we love our children enough to care the way we do for them, imagine how great our God is and how much He cares for us. Point three, God made you. Psalm 139.13 For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God does not make mistakes. He designed you and you and you and you. He designed every one of you the exact way that He wanted you to be. He did not give you a freckle more or a freckle left. He gave you the exact IQ that He wanted you to have. He gave you the exact athletic ability, the exact talent, the exact musical ability. He gave you everything the way He wanted you to have it. And He even uses your deficiencies probably more than He uses your so-called strengths. And when we deny the creative power of our God, we do a great disservice. I mean, He literally knitted you together in your mother's womb. He orchestrated your parents to bring you about every single detail. Have you ever thought about that? If one thing was different, if one thing in history was different between your parents, would you even be there? And He orchestrated every one of those and you can go even further. Look at your family tree. How many people are in your family tree that He orchestrated every single detail out so that you could be here on this day? Talk about love. And then after two people come together, right? He orchestrates every cell as it grows. It starts with two cells and grows to be 26 billion cells by the time you are born. And He knows every single one of them. I have to take a little time out here. I can't talk about this verse without talking about abortion. And abortion is a sin. Taking the life of anybody is God's job. But in saying that, we must never, ever forget forgiveness. 
You see, not only is God forgiving, but He uses the things that happen in our life to shape us and mold us. So if you have had an abortion, it's time to let it go. You're forgiven. Christ loves you. And speaking of all sin, man, if you're holding on to some sin, it's time to let it go because Jesus died on the cross once. And He loves you. You see, when we speak about our difficulties, when we speak about the sin in our life, it loses the controlling power and gives glory to our God. Anything that was bad in your life, when we speak Christ's glory and are overcoming it through His power, it no longer controls us. And even though sin, He uses to give Him glory. If God can use the greatest sin in the history of mankind with His Son hanging there on the cross, He can use every single one of your sins to give Him glory. Listen to 13 again. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Do you believe that? And if you do, do you believe that Jesus did not just knit you together half-heartedly? So often, everybody in this room can be so hard on themselves. But I say, why? Have you not read verse 14? I praised you. David is talking here. He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You know what that means? It means that God made us with great reverence, heartfelt interest, and respect. Not one person in here was a second thought. Not one person in here was a mistake. You see, he does not see Tim Tebow in all his muscles, in all his power, any different than he sees four-foot-tall Miss Liz, who's tougher than every single one of us in here. He made Miss Liz the exact way that he wanted her. And she is a blessing. An absolute blessing in this world. And then he goes on, wonderful are your works. Do we question the way God made it or do we trust that maybe, just maybe, He knows best? And I get it, all of us would like a little less pain. We'd like a little fewer elements. But God, He uses our pain and He uses our deficiencies. And some of us would not even be saved if it wasn't for them. So I challenge us to dig deeper, to look at our soul and just be in awe of the Creator. Because the way we think about God changes the way we live this life. It changes everything. Man, is your God big enough? Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Our God could see you in your mother's womb. In this depths of the earth is just poetry for your mother's womb. When we were unseen, before your parents even knew your mama was pregnant, our God knew you. But it goes deeper than that. Verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God, He knows the days of each person and every person that has ever lived. And He knows them perfectly and completely. And He is there for every second of them. 
He's there with the men that I visit in jail. He's here with you right now. He's there with the men and women that you hear cuss at your work. And He walks every step with every believer that has ever lived, including Billy Graham. The difference is whether or not we acknowledge Him. The blessing is in the acknowledgement. The blessing is not ignoring Him. The blessing is not whether or not we're comfortable. The blessing is being in awe of Jesus Christ. Man, so in awe. Have you read verse 17? How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Is that how we think about God? Is God greater than we can even fathom? We don't even understand one cell in our body. And He understands every single one of our cells and every single person that has ever lived throughout the history of mankind. Is your God big enough? Have you ever tried to count the sand? It's impossible. You'll be overwhelmed at the first handful and yet He knows every single grain of sand in this world. Verse 18, if I would count them, they're more than the sand. His thoughts are more than that. And yet I awake and I am still with you. Our God, He knows everything and yet He still has time for me. He still has time for you. Man, He protects us and He watches over us. He judges us. His. Beautiful. But reality says that He will also judge those who ignore Him. And we can ignore Him. He gives us that choice. But why why would we ever want to ignore Him? I mean, point four. God can judge you perfectly. And anybody in this world... Man, if you were in a court and you were innocent, would you not want a judge that knew every single last detail? What about if you were guilty? Because we all are. Would you not want a judge that provided the solution for our punishment because He cared so deeply about us? Every crime, every sin, every person will be judged perfectly and justice will be carried out either by the blood of Christ or by the blood of those who ignore Him. And I know this seems harsh, but He's there. He is everywhere and we literally have to make a conscious choice to not ignore Him. I hear it so often. Why would a loving God send people to hell? And He doesn't. He doesn't. They ignore Him as He walks every step with them all the way to the gates of hell pleading with them to just acknowledge Him. 19, Oh, that You would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from Me. You see, not only does He address those who ignore Him, but those who are willing to speak against Him. Verse 20, They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Our God has walked every day with every person. And He knows the exact heart of each person that He walks with. And He loves them, every single one of them. But He has no choice. Because we have to acknowledge Him to be redeemed by Christ's work on the cross. And we should hate what God hates. And we should love what God loves. And we should have a desire for all people to turn to Christ. But we should also have a desire for perfect justice. Because heaven, heaven is not heaven without redemption. Heaven is not heaven without perfect holiness. Verse 21 and 22, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete 
hatred. I count them with my enemies. The reality is our God would not be a perfect God if He allowed any sin. I so desperately don't want to allow anybody to be my enemy. And until they're this side of this world, I'm not going to. But their thoughts and their actions are in adversary to God. They're they're an objection to God. And eventually we run out of time. Time to make our choice whether or not we're going to walk with Jesus or we're going to be oblivious to His presence. And so as we close, the question for us as a church... Have you asked God this question in verse 23? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Do you dare ask that question? Do you dare receive the answer? What does God see when He sees your heart? Does He see a friend or does He see a foe? Does he see somebody who praises him for the way that he was made or she was made? Does he see somebody who curses him for the way that he or she was made? Do you let our God in or do you push him out? Do we allow him to penetrate our mind and transform it, to renew it and to test it and to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect? Verse 24, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And then he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Our God is walking with us. He doesn't just leave us in our grievous ways. No, he goes with us for everlasting. Are we going to acknowledge him? Because I don't know about you, but my relationship with Jesus is everything. I cannot imagine going through life, not acknowledge him anymore. Because He is the one that transforms my life and He is the one that will transform your life and He is the one that will transform any relationship that you are in in any place that you go in this, in this town, in this county, in this world, wherever that may be. Is your relationship with Jesus your everything? Let's pray. Father, search me. Know me and try me. And if there be anything grievous in my heart, Lord, I pray that you would transform it. Lord, I pray that you would just let me understand the significance of how wonderful and how majestic you are. Not that I can even wrap my mind around it, but that I can just be in awe of you as my creator. And just being in awe, does that drive my heart, my life, my actions? Does that give me a burning desire to tell more and more people about how amazing you are? Because you are an awesome God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.